Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach. And I'm here with yet another high demand coach, and that is Jim Frawley. Jim is the founder of Bellwether, an executive development community dedicated to helping both individuals and organizations build resiliency, adapt to change, and thrive in rapidly shifting context. Jim, we need you now more than ever. My goodness. Uh, Jim provides a range of services, including keynote speaking, executive and business coaching, and workshop development and facilitation. And he is the host of the Bellwether Hub podcast, building a library of resources, both for teams and individuals to continually develop themselves. Well, Jim, I'm so excited to have you here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. So first off, welcome to the show. And I'd love to get started just with your story. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you were doing before coaching, how you got into coaching and why. Yeah, sure. Scott, thank you so much for having me. Um, So I guess if I go way back, my career started uh, in radio and I didn't pay any bills. So I left it, went into corporate training. It was the only job I could find. My sister was able to get it for me. Didn't really have much of a track and it got me stuck in Omaha, Nebraska. And to get out of Omaha, Nebraska, the only job I could get to get me back to the East Coast was in the financial industry. And that's where I spent most of my career was doing public relations, executive communications for the financial industry. The challenge with that was that it was right smack in the middle of the financial crisis. So oh. it was like the worst possible job, the worst possible time. But I learned so much from really, really good executives about how to handle pressure. How do you communicate under pressure? How do you understand your audiences? And I, I consider that period of time one of the most defining in my career, just from what I was able to learn. And that turned into about a 10 to 15 year career, 15 year career in finance. But it never really jazzed me all that much. Finance wasn't really my world that I wanted to be in. And I heard about coaching and I went to a coach and I said, you know, what do I want to do? I put together all these business plans and Columbia University has a coaching program. I saw it. It clicked. I said, let's do it. Quit the next day and put out the shingle. So that was it. Wow. Fantastic. So, uh, you know, been through it, right? And I'm sure a lot of those lessons have really influenced your coaching in a pretty dramatic way. So kind of in light of that, what would you say is the most important work that you're doing for your clients right now? The work now, the really exciting work I'm doing is uh, I like to call it, how do you prepare for change when you don't know what change is coming? And so that when you look at it through that lens, this scale of work is pretty wild. When we talk Mm -hmm. about getting someone ready to get into the C-suite, so the individual executives, how are you preparing for yourself and understanding your audiences and what's your business strategy? How do you put together a plan, a five-year plan when it's going to be irrelevant in a year and a half anyway? You know, that kind of work is really, really fun. But then also on the corporate side, when we're working with executive teams on what's the real people strategy, right? How do you prepare your people for change when they don't know what change is coming? Because they feel it 
And they know it. They're looking at the layoffs. They're looking at the competitors and all the work that they're doing. They're looking at, you know, the news and the stock market and everything else. And, you know, their ultimate question always is, what about me? And so how do we rethink people strategy, get them ready, get the organization and the people really in sync to say, look, we recognize this is your career and you have a world and you have a life and we also have a business. And let's just talk about this logically and how do we benefit each other and what do you need from us and what do we need from you? And um, there are a lot of assumptions that organizations have in terms of people and talent that are really outdated, probably by like 40, 50 years still, that we need to just kind of rip the Band-Aid and say, what are we really thinking about our people and how do we think about them in a better way? Yeah. Well, what would you say are one or two of those assumptions just uh, to intro what what you mean by that? Uh, Well, one, the way that we structure our organization is the big one. I mean, let's just go big, right? When we take a look at hierarchies in an organization, the future of work isn't going to look that way. The future of work, I think, is going to really change around to uh, significant accountability on the individual. We're going to see a lot of libraries within organizations to say, you know what, we need these skill sets. So let's just move people around based on project and initiative and this initiative shutting down and we're going to have to be incredibly flexible. And how do we piece these together? The bureaucracy is going to have to go away, which is going to be very difficult for the large organizations, but midsize and small We'll be able to adapt if they do the work now. We're going to raise our expectations of our workers, give them the agency to do the work. uh, And you can probably do it with maybe half the people that you have. So there's this real big kind of, we don't need the amount of people that we used to have. They can potentially work wherever they want. We do need to bring them into the office sometimes, but let's talk about the business and what the business actually needs. Yeah. Yeah. That is so, so good. I couldn't agree with you more. One of the the hallmarks, if you will, of an organization that we would say is in predictable success, right? A- achieving the ability to adapt to change, but the you know, the resilience and the consistency to not be you know just blown around by it, is a high degree of individual ownership and self accountability, right? That, that's the language we use for it. We're going after the exact same thing that you're going after. And I was just talking with someone yesterday, and there's this false dichotomy, and I think most people's minds of you can either be this small, nimble business, or you can be a big bureaucratic monolith. Right. And, and that like there's nothing in between. But I mean, you know, and uh, from your your skill set that it's it's kind of that in between space of saying, hey, we're not going to do the bureaucratic thing. We're going to do this at scale, but we're going to stay nimble in the process. How do you how do you help people navigate that tension? Yeah. And it's you know, when I one of my big sayings I like to say is macro change requires a focus on the micro individual. So if you're changing your industry, your organization, whatever it might be, you have to start with each individual person, which makes it incredibly difficult. Why most change management programs fail is they're telling you they're thrusting change upon people and saying, deal with it, rather than having it flip the script a little bit and saying, you know what, you have the agency to do this. I was very guilty of this when I was in corporate. I was very much a passive observer. I wasn't, you know, taking control. I wasn't creating work. I was just doing what I could. I was incredibly stressed out or I thought I was stressed out, but it's because I was, you know, not really doing what I wanted to do and I wasn't doing the right type of work and I was overworked and I was exhausted and stressed and and all that. Um, So I I wasn't necessarily a good executive. We have to teach people how to be good executives. We have to teach people. And it's so, um, it's just overdone, but we do have to almost teach entrepreneurs or residents. I didn't learn about accountability and really learn about accountability until I started my business and that forced me to learn it. And so how do we, teach people these new types of skill sets, how to have a difficult conversation, how to properly set expectations. How do you have a belief system and how do you bring your belief system into work? These things that we really don't want to dance around, but we have to, if we yeah. want to get people to be able to elevate up to the level that we know that they can elevate to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the things that was kind of unique or remarkable about uh, what I saw just as I was doing some research on you before the show was how much you, and it's even in your bio, just how much you have a focus on both the organization and the individual. What I found most folks in the industry will, they'll kind of work in both spaces, but they have a very strong bias one way or the other. Either I'm a career coach, right, or a personal brand consultant or, you know, a, a, a leadership coach, uh, you know, and I'm focused on the individual and everything about the individual, or you've got the the kind of organizational design, architecture, scalability, all about the organization. And you know, we kind of make you know, half-hearted is is isn't fair, but it, not full attempts to really bring those two worlds together. And it seems like that's the centerpiece of what you do. Uh, you know, how do you do that? Hundred percent. And the way I like to put it, um, I like the way that you framed it because. I don't see anybody else doing it. You've got the logic of a business versus the emotions of an individual. And how do you pair those two? And they have to come in. And it comes from understanding. It comes from ripping apart assumptions. It comes from uh, rethinking expectations on what my role is versus what the role is going to be that the organization needs. And um, a lot of the times that w- when we're working and we go into work and we take a new job is we assume it's 40 hours sitting at a desk in a cube doing this and pushing paper and, you know, things like AI are going to fundamentally change it. My argument when I was in corporate all the time, you know, I had a boss who said, you have to stay in that seat until 630. And I'm okay. Right. I don't really, right. I could get this work done in 20 hours. Right. So what's the value of your employee? What's the value of work? It's not necessarily you're not paying them for 40 hours. You're paying them for value to the business. And how do you rethink your people strategy around that? It's very difficult with the amount of employees a lot of these organizations have, which is why many of them are pairing it back. And this is just the start of what we're seeing now. And, you know, early 2023 with the layoffs and everything, a lot of these jobs aren't coming back because they are going to say, look, we could put pinpoint focus on an individual and talk about value. And we could rework this kind of organization to make sure we're attracting the best people to create the value. And that's kind of this logic, emotion, push, pull. Mm. But people need to understand that there's a game being played. It's not, you know, that your work isn't your family. Work isn't, you know, all these things that we've been given these lines and really nice talking points. People are hip to the lines now and they're not really jumping into that anymore. So let's kind of rip the bandaid off, be a little upfront and say, this is how it's actually going to be. Yeah. One of the things that's that's fascinating about this topic and this challenge is that it's hard for everyone, but for very different reasons, right? You take the large organizations, it's hard because affecting individual change when you have hundreds and thousands of employees is that's a long process, right? Like that, you just have to be committed to that. You're not going to see a whole lot happen for quite a while. On the other side, you might think, okay, small organizations have this massive advantage because you know you affect one or one person, and that's one out of five, and you've you've affected twenty percent of the organization. And I would probably argue of the two, they do have an advantage. But when you get into these small organizations and you look at the realities on the ground, they are doing nine people's work, and so like yeah. they're just running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And so the challenge that that you have in small businesses, like we just don't have the capacity to sit down and focus on this. So if we we kind of split those apart for a second. Uh, and let's hit the the little guy first, and then we'll talk about some of the the how you affect this change in a larger corporate environment. But for that, you know, young entrepreneurial organization who uh, who has just been has really struggled finding people for the last couple of years. They've really struggled competing, especially on wages, and they're hearing this and saying, "Yes, we do need to stay nimble. We do need to be able to adapt. We do need to be able to change." What would be some of the advice you would give them on how to start taking steps forward? 
Yeah. When you take a, a small organization, especially one that grows quickly or that has grown over the years, a lot of the old processes just kind of stick around. And there's a lot of stuff that just, we do this because that's the way it's done. And, you know, we just have to do it this way. And, uh, if we want to elevate the organization to another level, it's time to almost throw out the script and start anew. Now, it's not recreating a full business plan and going bananas, right? It's a number of strategy sessions. We could put this together. What do we really need to do? Have we lost our, you know, have we identified our, our true identity? Have we lost our true identity? How has market dynamics, how have market dynamics changed the way that we're looking at things? And when you have in a conversation with all of your people, I will guarantee you they're doing the work of nine people. They could shed half of those tasks so tomorrow and the business so will true. be fine. <laughs> right. And th these are the conversations we're having is like, you know, we saw it when everybody started working from home and we started seeing how engaged people really were. They're saying from a productivity perspective, we could lose half to three quarters of our workforce and still be fine. Ownership knows this. Leadership knows this. Now, it's a very difficult pill to swallow. It's a little too blunt to kind of say, hey, we're tossing out 75 percent of the workforce. But that nugget's kind of stuck in the brain. And now how do we evolve the business to say, all right, maybe we could do the same amount of work with 25 percent of the people, but we still have human beings. Right. And we've got different profiles of, of workplaces that really care about their employees. They really do. And they say, all right, how do we take maybe 25%? Maybe we start a new business within it. And how do we kind of set that up and kind of separate that? And how do we how do we navigate this? And that's yeah. a lot of the, the bigger discussion of what's our identity going to be as an organization? What do we really need to do? And then how do we leverage things like AI and the new technology to really explode that on a much bigger level? Yeah. And for those listening, it might feel like there's some hyperbole or exaggeration in there. But I mean, time and time again, you go in and you just do an audit of what in the world are we doing as an organization from top to bottom. Uh, the lowest I've seen was 40% was, you know, needed to change. Uh, but, you know, more often than not, 50, 60, 70%. So, uh, like, this isn't just stuff that, like, we're saying on a podcast to sound cool, but it's like, it, like these are real numbers that, that folks are, are really dealing with. So, for the small organization, yes, I, I love that. It's like, look at what can you stop doing? Because it's way more than you think. What have you drug along for years now, even though you're a relatively young organization? Get rid of that and you'll find Find some breathing room to make some some meaningful change. All right. So for those larger organizations, um, again, it's a, a slightly different challenge because you're, you're trying to do this individually at scale. What are some of the first steps for uh, for a, a leadership team to embark on this journey? Well, I would say similar to the to the the small organizations, you have to figure out identity. That's I mean, still first one. What are we going to be? And as you become this massive organization, there's still you're going to be evolving no matter how big you're going. I mean, take a look at Google right now. They're scrambling and they're revisiting their identity and who they thought they were and who they have to be and everything else. But from there, you then have to take a look at scope and take a look at the scope of the organization and where does that fit into your identity? And then it's not going to be, you know, this grand scale kind of rip the band-aid. It's too big, but you start selecting key components to be the example for the organization as a model. And you test this lack of bureaucracy, different type of working. How do you measure accountability? How are we giving feedback? And how do we track all of this so that we can give the model to the other seg segments of the organization and make it work so it can copy? In many of the really, really large organizations, they're doing this, but they're doing it in like seven different places. And which is fine, but they're going to have to take best practices out of all of these and do that and see what's really working, what's not. Right. Uh, right. But it's like a 10 to 15 year process. It's significant. Yeah. It's it's going to wow. be big. 
Wow. Uh, so it's fascinating. Because, again, in our world, we kind of organize this uh, the world of business into different stages, right? So you have the early startup, you have that fun growth stage, you've got whitewater, which is we're under-processed, overgrowth. You know, uh, it's just hyper-growth and not enough uh, structure internally. But what folks don't realize is how difficult it is to stay out of the, the what we call the fifth stage of treadmill. And, and treadmill is where we start to get a little arthritic, a little form over function, a little too much process. It's where the threat of being big starts to become, you know, a challenge as opposed to an asset. And uh, and and you keep coming back to this point, which is so important for folks to hear in there, and that it, it it has to come back to identity, to vision, to you know that why, like why are we doing what we're doing? Because other than that, like. You can put tactics in place, but you end up just repeating the same process, right? And you you take another 10, 15 years, and you end up in the exact same spot. A lot of feelings are hurt, a lot of energy spent, and it's not there. So when you're helping folks really dial in on this identity issue, uh, you know, well, first one, do you get pushback on there? Like, we don't have time for this. Uh, or it, are you finding that that's received well? Uh, you know, it's one of those things that it sounds like it's something we should do, but when you're actually going through the process, they say, we don't have time for this. It's like when you say you need a, to take a, a a nap, right? Because you're so overly exhausted. You say, but I have too much work to get done, but the nap's actually going to do you ben- a benefit because you can get more work done later. Um, so yes, you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of pushback. A lot of them saying, why do I have to go all the way back? I don't have time for this. If we're talking about a 10 to 15 year process. To be honest, market dynamics may not allow for a 10 to 15 year process. So that's a, another big element that's going on with the way things are changing so incredibly quickly. Some people aren't ready to take a step back and say, you know, they're also afraid of what's going to open it up, right? And, and what does this mean for our business? And does this actually change it? So uh, I get a lot of pushback for that, but it's a fundamental first step to making sure that you're making the right next steps. Because if you're not, if you don't have the identity secure, then yeah. then you're just going to be spinning wheels. Any kind yeah. of change without intentionality is just spinning wheels is not going to work. That's so true. So true. All right. So here's a question I love to ask all of my guests. And, and, and it's this, what's the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? You know, what's that one thing that you're, you wish everybody listening today knew? Um, my, uh, I'll give you two quotes. And these are my two favorite quotes from when I became an entrepreneur, and these are the ones that helped me the most. And so I would say, you know, as we're we're so distracted by change, and I guess this is more for the individuals. First quote is from Jean-Jacques Rousseau. How can anyone be satisfied in life if they're not satisfied with the one person they can never be separated from? Mm. And that is everything, no matter what change is happening, comes down to you as an individual. And so you have to figure out you. We can talk about ethical philosophy and helping other people and all that stuff. We help other people to help ourselves, but you can't help other people. You can't be successful until you figure yourself out. That's one. And then the other one is, no matter what you're doing as these change, and as you are, maybe you have a business, you're trying to sell your business, or maybe you are trying to pitch something internally. Um, and I, don't, I think I saw it on Reddit or something. You can have the greatest peach tree in Georgia. Some people don't want peaches and that's okay. Right. And suddenly you're like, oh, okay. It's like a bad breakup where you're like, oh, maybe they just didn't want my peaches. That's fine. Okay. And you kind of go and change the way I sell the business, change the way I approach selling the business where you're matching to what people actually need at a really, really good time. That's when we're talking about corporate and individual that's it, right? This corporate may have the greatest peaches. I may not be in the mood for peaches this week. It's not the right place for me. Yeah. 
Well, uh, yeah, there was just so much we could jump into on that uh, but for, the, for the sake of time. So, yes, I, I'm in Atlanta. So, I mean, you're, you're speaking my language. Oh, there you uh, go. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I live in Peachtree Corners, uh, which uh, so, yeah, I'm right there with you, right there with you. Um, all right. But I, I do want to shift gears a little bit here. Uh, and, and this is a question I'm, I'm really eager to hear, you know, how you're approaching it. And, and that is... Um, you know, take off your consultant hat, your you know uh, coach hat, if you will. Put on your CEO hat and talk to us a little bit about what the next stage of growth looks like for you, right? So we're in these uncertain times. You're helping clients in this uh, really special way. What do you think is the next stage of growth for you and your business? And what are some of the challenges you'll have to overcome to get there? Yeah, the thing that's I'm, I'm laser focused on right now is that everybody is petrified <laughs> uh, and they need a guru, but everybody wants to be a guru. They need a guru that they can actually trust. And so how do you build something? And it's why I got into coaching. I didn't like the coaching product that was out there because there's no accountability on coaches. And so that's what I'm focused on now is building up a brand that people can actually trust as they're navigating this type of change. From a business perspective, I am loading up on AI focused tools that my clients can use. I've already uh, white labeled a, a public speaking, uh, an AI public speaking coach, which is phenomenal. It's called Udly. All my clients just get it. I give it to them free of charge. There's going to be other ones. We have to think about how coaching is going to evolve, right? We're only two years away from AI coaches in general. So the coaching industry is going to completely evolve. And so what does that look like? And how do you create something uniquely human so that when people go, they can use the AI coach. They should use it if that's helpful for them. But when they need that human, how do they find the one person they could trust? And that's what I'm looking to build over the next couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Wow. Remarkable. Uh, truly remarkable. Well, Jim, thanks so much for your time. It's just an absolute delight having you on the show. I could probably talk for a few hours, but uh, I, I do my stuff. best it's to awesome. keep this uh, short for our listeners because we value your your time and attention. Uh, if you're listening today, just uh, above and beyond. And so uh, I would just want to say to all you listening, thank you so much for your time and attention it means the world to us. Uh, I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any of those episodes, go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.